Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we have a very special episode recorded live at the Super Venture event in Berlin. This episode features two well-known voices within the EU VC podcast, Chris and Joe from Isma Capital, who have recently just announced their fund three. And now, some words from our beloved sponsors. How are you currently reporting to your LPs? Is fund administration taking hours? Are you getting lost in spreadsheet version control? Well, Flow solves all of these issues and more, allowing you to unlock the power of your fund's data by consolidating your work streams onto Flow. Book a demo to learn about Flow's portfolio and fund management features and transaction infrastructure at flow.io forward slash VC. F-L-O-W-W forward slash VC. For investors looking for capital, the UAE has become the hub of choice for VCs to connect with startups, sovereign wealth funds, family offices, and funder funds. This October, join fund managers representing over $500 billion of assets under management from CVC, General Atlantic, Techstars, Sequoia, Speed Invest, MEVP, and more, who join Expand Northstart to connect with hundreds of early-stage to growth startups from all markets for a curated concierge-style meetings program. Previous participating founders held from Stripe, Binance, GoOne, Byju's, InterSwitch, Caro, and more. Register now at expandnorthstar.com forward slash EUBC. All right, everyone. Welcome to this very special episode of the European VC. We have huddled up with Joe and Chris from Isomer Capital in connection to your very new fundraise. So everyone, we're in for a very interesting episode here because we're going to dive deep on Iceman Capital Fund 3 and what the announcement of that fund means for the ecosystem. Super nice to have you, Joe. Super nice to have you, Chris. As usual, nice Good to morning. meet you in person as well. Good morning. It was nice to see you yesterday at, uh, at SuperVenture at the VC party. Super cool to see the whole ecosystem together, see the Isomer team as well. That's very nice. So uh, let's start with the basics. Isomer, Isomer Fund 3. Give us a quick rundown. What is that about? What should uh, GPs out there listening in and even other LPs know about that? Well, we're really excited that it hit the news yesterday, um, coincident with the, the biggest, best super venture conference ever <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, so, so big it has to move to a new venue next year. Um, Isomer 3 follows the, the successful strategy of Isomer 2. Um, we continue to back a range of Europe's exciting VCs uh, to co-invest with them, to buy secondary pieces of, of funds and companies. And um, part of what we're excited about is, and thankful for is RLP supported the launch of the fund about four months ahead of schedule. Yeah, and that's uh, exciting, but also evidence that Europe's best GPs are continue to move fast. Um, there's been some great returns created with, with many of our partners and so their funds launched quickly um, and, and raised quickly. And so part of the reason Isomer 3 raises now is to support them. So in fact, it's, it, the fund has very quickly completed its first four investments, working on the next three already. It's a weird market right now. I know we, so we hear a lot of um, 
GPs unfortunately having to postpone the fundraises or just really having a really hard time. And it's been uh, it's been a few years for Eisenhower now. That's exciting. But I'm really curious to ask you what, looking back, right, as an entrepreneur, as a fund manager, what what do you think allowed Eisenhower to build a platform to the state where you are today? Because you are a different beast today from what you were when you started, right? Very different beast and the whole operation is different. So I'm really curious just to kind of try to tease out some learnings from building that platform as a firm as well. I think we continue to remain to be humble. Um, I think we have to remember who our customers are and there's this funny thing in our world where the customers are our LPs and of course, you know, we are in the business of making money for them. But our customers are also the people that make the money, which are the entrepreneurs and the VCs and remembering that and having processes that make that happen are really, really important. And so it's just being focused on that, you know, that, that, that customer ideal is really important. We communicate frequently with our LPs so they know what's happening. We continue to strive to be the best LP for early stage venture. And that's tough because there's lots of them. You know, Joe just mentioned that Super Venture is now so big, there's a waiting list to get in. Yeah. You know, when Joe first started um, Super Venture, it was a couple of hours sort of by exception at uh, Super Return. And now it's this sort of three-day conference where the first day you can't get into. So that's a, so the challenge is always to be true and honest and transparent to the GPs that are coming, and there's lots of them, and we pick relatively few. But just doing that in a process that that everybody understands and that we're clear yeah. is, I think, the secret here. And I'd be very curious to double down on that exact thing, which is not how you pick because we've spoken quite a bit about that. I think people can both go to your website and also go to eu.vc by now to understand pretty much how you think about managers. But there's one question that haunts every manager in Europe, and that is the fundraise status of the fund of funds. Mm -hmm. Because you guys are everywhere, Isomers everywhere, Equation everywhere, AQVC everywhere with their messaging. But then there's quite a few managers at the same time that also experience, well, not maybe that much investable capital right now. Both how do you see the market and also how do you tackle that yourself? I, I think everyone needs to hear more about this from the uh, fund of funds that we have. Yeah, that's, that's a big question. It's a big market. Um, and I'm still recovering from David calling us a beast. But um, <laughs> It was meant for a lot of uh, fondness. <laughs> a lot of you, you called us the beast? I said you're a different beast today. <laughs> no, from beast. Beast. Yeah, okay, fair Good enough. Lord. Oh, that might be a different well, beast. If I, <laughs> if I could just comment on Chris's point as well, I, I think what's been very consistent from the beginning of Isomer to now and what we keep working on really hard is to be a good partner. And we, we talk about that a lot, but what does it really mean? It means being a good partner to your VCs that when they need you, you're there. You know, we run the extra mile in all kinds of cases that will never be in the news and we'll never talk about. And, but if you're really supportive, that's what you got to do, you know, and, and, and we continue and we don't always get it right, you know. 
but keeping in touch with, I think our database now is more than 1,300 VCs that we keep in touch with, all our VC firms all around Europe. That's a big job. Um, so we keep adding uh, two or three people every year to, to meet that mission, which keeps growing. But then to turn to your question, Andreas, being a good partner to LPs is also quite important. So, you know, when we first meet LPs, part of what we're doing in a discussion is to pitch them. Hey, we have a fund, we'd love you to invest in that fund. But a big part of what we're also doing is saying, what are you trying to achieve by investing in European tech? And can we, can we be part of that? Can we help you with that? And what we've found over the years is that there's a range of missions. You know, I want to diversify my portfolio. I want to make returns, of course. I want to understand Europe. I want to understand Europe. I want to look for specific things that you as a scout could help me understand. I want to invest with you, around you, side of you, co-invest with you. So we've, you know, sought out, but probably by our nature and by what we're trying to achieve, we've attracted around us a range of LPs who also have a mission. And we're, you know, we're playing our role in the marketplace. Of course, our role evolves, and so does theirs. So we have LPs now from many different countries, of many different types. And I think you're right that the ecosystem now, because we've had public market correction, because interest rates are up for, for all kinds of reasons in other parts of portfolios, a lot of LPs are pulling back this year. And you see that by LP type, right? So for example, um, in times where maybe, um, I don't know, just to take an example, if endowments need to add more to the operating budgets of their universities, then they'll maybe commit less that year, right? So if all your LPs are endowments, well, you're correlated to that. And you know, for, for better or worse, we have a very diverse set of LPs. We've had to travel far and wide to find them. But the upside of that is that when we, when we come to say, hey, we're going to raise a new fund, what do you think? Um, they're very different in their thinking. And they span family offices, corporations, foundations, governments. Um, and, you know, I, we don't say it often enough. We try to, but we're so grateful to them to be on this long-term journey with us. So we're not, we're not pushy about the new fund, but with, with the new fund, we just said, hey, there's some GPs really moving. We got to run to support them. Can you run with us? We're probably overly transparent with um, the GPs um, about where we are in our fundraising. Um, and this isn't a market broadcast. This is a, a, a communication individually. So, you know, you're always trying to manage this, you know, when do we have our clothes, when do we have capital available, and when we can invest. We're super transparent sometimes I think too transparent, about where we are and what we can do, you know? Um, we, we worked very closely with these four, in, four VCs that we've, we've just committed to from this new fund to say, now here's, here's exactly when we're going to be having our first close, our second close of fund three to, to match their, their, um, their commitments. And that is the thing that I would wish Everyone does. Yes, because that was exactly the question I was about to ask. Because yesterday at Superventure, I was talking to a GP they're raising. And we talked about, this was one of the other fund of funds. And he said, well, it looks like they'll have money 
you know, I think I think they're getting there by the end of the year, and and then I think it'll, it, you know, then and then it, it was like he was really hoping that that LP would have money by then, and kind of then also not assuming because he didn't know really if he was well positioned to get money from that LP, yeah. but that LP had definitely given him the impression that he liked him a lot. And I, I said to him, well, do you think that when there's money that you'll then, you know, are you number three in the line or are you number 20? And, and, and he didn't know, right? And I'm always like, how does a GP navigate that? And how do you as an LP, because you also have a huge, you know, line of people that wants your capital, and I know some that for, for sure have said, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to see when Eismer has the capital to, to, to deploy into my fund if they like me. And they, you know, so it's something that people always think about. When we have these conversations about exactly where we are, when we come in, the, the first thing to say is, you know, as, the GP, as you've just noted about GPs, it's exactly the same for us. We never know precisely when LPs are going to come in. You know, we don't have an agreement six months. Would you please come on the 31st of March because we need that for the first four, you know. This is a moving... So, first of all, there's always some ambiguity from, you know, from our point of view. But we're not having discussions about where we are and precisely when we could join, as best we can tell, with managers that we have not decided to invest in. And that's the important point. And, and I think just to double-click on that for everyone in the audience, because I think that's so important that, and it might sound basic, but until you have that commitment from the fund, you don't have that fund, and, there's, and you would also go go to the length to say you should not then be praying too much for that funds close to come, for that to then unlock a capital for you necessarily. Well, I'll say one more thing, and I'm sure Joe has good points on this too. You know, it always surprises me in, in GP conversations why they don't ask those questions. Yeah. They very rarely, they say, oh, it would be great. To, you know, I had hundreds of conversations yesterday. I'm sure you did too, Joe. Oh, it would be great to catch up. What they're really saying is, are you interested in me? Are you interested in, in, in investing? But it'd be great to catch up and, you know, sort of. And for those that, to be honest, those that we're not sure of, you know, and we're still figure, trying to figure it out. Remember, we're doing this, you know, Joe talked about 1,300 managers we're trying to get it down to some single-digit number this year. Yeah. I'm smiling as we talk because ever since the very first days of Isomer, I, I, I recall myself saying and still saying, I'd love to invest in your fund, but I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, we're GPs and they're GPs. And so just being straight ahead and saying, look, we're trying to put a close together and we're working with a group of LPs. It's exactly what we're all doing. So in that sense, we're really on the same side of the table. But, you know, you, you raise one of the difficulties of, of our kind of fund, Andreas, which is how do you build a pipeline, match up the timing on both sides of the table, and, and we're constantly trying to understand the real timeline from VCs. And VCs are constantly trying to accelerate the timeline by telling us it's closing tonight, you know. <laughs> and we have so many times over the years where 
oh, it's the final close next weekend. You know, and six months later, it's still open. And, um, and, and that's... Has, and let's just... Because that's a tactic, right? Yeah. How do you as a fund investor think about that tactic? Would you ever have been about to commit to a fund or even have committed to a fund and then feel like they're pushing too hard, they're being intransparent in their process, making us feel like there's FOMO around the thing. And then at some point you've said, guys, don't, don't, don't play those tricks with us. That doesn't... A, a, a little, a little, a little bit. But I know I, I give both parties, I know us and the, the GP, that you, this mythical GP, credit for by the time we're saying look actually we, we we would like to do this let's let's and when you know what is the biggest decision that isoma makes about a gp it's actually are we going to spend detailed dedicated time to really understand to write an investment memo to propose it to them that that decision yeah. is the decision and the rest is, is ensuring we've understood properly that there's nothing, you know, in all the referencing is not, you know, there's nothing that comes out. But that is the, is the time commitment decision. And I think if you've made that decision, it would be very disappointing if you were being gamed to the extent that we're closing tonight, but actually it's six months. Do we get gently gamed all the time? <laughs> well, I'm really, I'm really cranky about that because, <laughs> you know, we we sort of bear our soul. Uh, you know, yes, you, this is my point about being too transparent. As you say, we're probably overly transparent. Where we're, you know, we're we're trying to be super straight ahead. Here's where we are. This is the process. Blah 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 blah. So yeah, when you get on the other side, this kind of fake urgency, and you and and it seems like real urgency. So we do our normal thing. We run hard and try to meet the timing that's being asked of us, and we really work hard for that. And then if you understand later that it was a fake urgency, that really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I, I don't like that. Because um, yeah, it messes up your shop. Yeah. We've gone through some trouble and pain to meet it, which, yeah. you know, I don't, it's fine to go through trouble and pain to meet it when it matters, yeah. you know. And that's the, you know, and the same when it matters for us, we're saying that to our LPs. Joe is fond of saying, um, when we're doing our fundraising with LPs, particularly new LPs that we, we've just sort of met and we're trying to decide whether they're, whether they're interesting or whether we're interesting to them, the second best answer is no. Because, you know, the, 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 the quantity that Joe and I and the Isoma team and, in fact, everybody in our business has that is so valuable is this thing called time. You know, and, and, you know, if, if Isoma isn't, you know, interested, then we should say so because that GP needs to, to get on and, and go work with those that are. And could I ask you, because I get pinged by people saying, who, they, they know that I like them and they know of our relationship. But you like everybody. I do like quite a few, but I think that there's also some that know <laughs> that I like them less. <laughs> um, but then... They ping me on WhatsApp saying, ah, could you check with the process with Isomer, where we're at? You know, and I'm like, more than happy to, but why don't you ask them? Yeah. It's, not like, it's not like they're not going to commit because you asked them for the thir third time over four months where they haven't really been moving their process with you. 
where are we? Are, is this still happening or that we haven't touched base for a couple of months? Does that mean that I'm out? You know, is that how I should translate? Is that not perfectly okay? Is that yes, absolutely. not just... absolutely. You know, um, it always impresses me when, you know, occasionally we will meet a very mature manager that might be still doing early stage, but on their sixth and seventh fund, and they know what they're doing. And if you have an hour slot with us, 50%, in other words, 30 minutes is spent interrogating us. And then they get on to explain what they want to talk about in terms of their fund and stuff like that. It's perfect. But, but this is natural when you're a new manager or a new founder of any business. Yeah. You're in the beginning, you're putting it together, you're creating it. So you're naturally in broadcast mode. Yeah. So, you know, when, you, when, when people first, even before they form a fund, right, a lot of people come to us and say, now don't tell anyone, but I'm spinning out of <laughs> big firm X or I'm leaving company Y or whatever. Say, hey, they're totally in broadcast mode because they're thinking through their ideas as they talk. So to take the next step, like where are you in your product? I mean, that's not even on their horizon. That comes that comes later. Um, but you, you're making me want to go back uh, and and talk a little bit about the difference between I like you and I'm committing to you, yes. because Andreas, you keep saying I like you or or he likes me. And is he committing right? And there's a long road between I like you and I'm committing to you. And boy, I wish we could commit to everybody we like. We can't, you know, we have a finite capital. We have a finite number of portfolio slots. We have a portfolio construction, which by the way, every GP ignores and forgets. And, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, they just look to us like an ATM, you know, I'm going to go to the Isomer ATM and take out, take out some cash, you know, it's not like that. And so what, when you first meet GPs, what you're really liking is, is the, the idea, the strategy. Hey, I've got this focus on deep tech. Hey, I've got this focus on, Eastern Europe, I've got this focus on consumer, whatever it is. Your first liking and finding some alignment on the mission of the fund, the strategy of the fund, you're then finding something exciting about the team that's executing that. And you can like all of that, but you can also then realize, oh, there's quite a bit of overlap in the portfolio companies with, some, with a fund we've already got, or a couple of funds. Right? So we turn down sometimes really great funds, which is painful and I hate it, but really great funds simply because half their portfolio is already in ours, you know, through other managers. Oh, yeah, or it, the, their whole strategy is represented by a manager that we really like and is, 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 is performing. <laughs> that you really like? Yeah, is performing yeah. well. <laughs> uh, you know, exactly, we, we really but like. But it's more than but, like. It's <laughs> like, you know, it's uh, like we, strategic we, fit, uh, due diligence, and then commitment in portfolio slot. You know, I... We've been talking now for how long it is, and um, I know you're meant to be asking us the questions, but I want to make a comment about Superventure. Um, the day started yesterday, on June the 5th, with a presentation from Adam Street, and it was very impressive. Europe, essentially, is beating the US from venture capital returns, and that is a remarkable thing. So. Anybody that's listening to this, there's a GP, should be remarkably proud of their contribution to that statement because that makes our job easier. It makes it easier for us to be able to go and convince 
you know, as Joe says, LPs far, you know, we go to Japan, you know, you go to the Middle East, you know, you're going to the US, you know, to broadcast this message that Europe is really where it's happening. And I want to build on that because, and come back also to the topic, the core topic here, Eisenberg on three. Yeah, and uh, if I could just interject there and say this this episode, we announced to all of you in the beginning, we're going to talk about Fund 3. And as always, when we're with you guys, we end up diving really deep into fundraising and how does the, everything work. And, and so, so everyone who was hoping to get that whole Fund 3 strategy lined out and all that, sorry, guys, we, we, we dove into a rabbit hole as we always do. But sorry, go down. No, but before going there, I think it's just interesting also, you know, as, as you, you guys said, the timeline of this fund, right, it coming earlier is obviously a reason to be proud of, but I think it also shows what's happening in the underlying funds that you're investing in. And it goes to that point of Europe is, is quite interesting and awesome right now, right? The market might be weird. The market might be kind of tough to fundraise, but some managers are moving quick. That is exciting. So I'd love just to ask kind of what are you seeing on, on happening on, on kind of your, your winners without necessarily naming funds, of course, but just what are you seeing and, and, and how, what is like the feel that you're getting from the market these days also just from the portfolio? I think the best managers are raising exactly as they've always done, potentially even faster. I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's, that's the fundamental thing that made us raise Fund 3, you know, many months before we had planned. Because these guys go out, you know, they have a set of LPs who have got very comfortable with them as managers, very comfortable with their returns, um, and they are re-upping. You know, there's this wonderful thing about venture. If you want to do venture, you have to do successive venture, vintages yeah. to catch the sort of the ups and the downs, you know, and sort of, you know, people would have absolutely invested in 20 and 21, and 22, and now they must invest in 23, 24 to get the sort of the swing of this to get that overall average performance, which will be very strong. Another way to say it would be uh, what's going on underneath. Well, great companies that continue to be founded and they need capital. And so these great managers are, are running their funds to meet that. On the LP side of things, if, if you read LP literature over the last 20 years, you will find the, the, the Yales and the Cambridge Associates and all of the kind of masters of the game tell the same thing. You cannot market time. You cannot, as an LP, jump in at a period of time, 2021, because everything's going up, and think that longer term you'll have better returns, you know, investing in a period and not investing in another period. And it was, it was underscored on a panel I did yesterday with four long-term professional LPs, and they all said the same thing. You must commit evenly over time, and maybe there's tactical moves up or down on occasion, but um, that's how this long-term game works. And, you know, it, it's always, what's that saying? Uh, every overnight success was 10 years in the making. Yeah. And, and, and that's very true, that when you see a company go really large, well, actually, the real investment in that happened five to ten years earlier to get it moving. And then it comes onto the popular uh, imagination and radar when it hits the cover of the FT or whatever. But actually, you know, what we, what we do is back that thing five to ten years earlier when it's, I always talk about two guys in a garage or, 
you know, it's not necessarily guys and it's not, not necessarily, necessarily guys, a garage. No, exactly. But it always starts with, you know, two to four people with a big idea. And so if you're really investing in early stage, you, you need to do so consistently over time. And, and that's really what's going on with these strong managers raising, supporting good founders, and, and looking to groups like us to continue our support. You know, the exciting thing, the really exciting thing, the thing that gets Joe and I up each morning, I'll speak for him on this subject, is that no one's told the entrepreneurs that there's a slowdown. They're still building new things, building new ideas, you know, um, because there's so much still to solve. The amount of digitization that is really done in any of the economies and industries yeah. is so little. There's so many challenges to fix. You know, that's before we start talking about the important topic of climate and all that good stuff, that people are just continuing to build and the best managers know that and they need to support them and want to support them. I feel we're in a strange moment in the market because we, we do hear a lot of talk of doom and gloom and public markets are down, so anything you IPO'd over the last year or two is really down a lot. And, you know, how do you get out? There's a lot of talk about that in, all, in the market, but in the conference as well. But I make the distinction between what's going on in capital markets versus what's going on in the operations of companies. And, and what Chris is saying is, the companies in our portfolio that are growing and building are doing extremely well because customers are buying their products. They're building strong products that are needed. So it's it's very odd moment because you talk to the entrepreneur, they're doing great. Revenues up, customers up, you know, not without the normal problems of building tech companies, but that's a positive upward trajectory broadly in Europe. At the same moment, you have capital markets, which is very different. And when you you know, talk to the LP world and, and talk at SuperVenture, what you're really getting a read on is the capital market side of things. Well, I'm worried about interest rates. I'm making, you know, some LPs told me in the US, I'm making 5% on cash. That's pretty good. Why should I commit to illiquid long-term stuff when I can just, you know, do some fixed income things? And so there is this trade-off within the capital market. However, um, we, had, we had our annual meeting um, a few weeks ago you did a beautiful interview with one of our founders and one of our VCs where they told the weird and wild journey from trying to fulfill the first customer orders and then having to do it themselves to building a team, almost going out of business, getting a bridge around all this. And it, and it reminds you that actually the business of building great tech and great companies is not really a business of capital markets. It's back to customer product you know, the basics. Um, and, and that's going really well. And one truism, whichever market, but it's particularly true of here, when that company, which is a company called Zenjob in Germany in the temporary workplace, tells that story of how he goes from nothing to a revenue of 100 million, there are 10 people who are going to say, say that and say, I can do that. And it's just this pyramid that happens, which is why we're so excited about Europe, why we're excited about Fund 3, because there's going to be, as there always has been in Europe, yeah. remarkable things to invest in. 
we'll get very excited about. Well, and they're at better prices now than they were. <laughs> yeah, the... you know, I mean, you know, this is this is just you know like a stock market, right? I mean, sort of the price <laughs> the price is down. You know, it'll go back up again, and you know we'll benefit from that, and we'll lose from that, and that's the business we're in. Well, one person's market correction is another person's return to prudence. Yeah, and exactly. I'm I'm really happy. You know, I just complained about capital markets, but but the flip side of that is we're back to you have time to do a proper due diligence. The terms are being negotiated in a in a prudent, normal way. Generally, the pricing is more connected with operations of the company, and that I'm comfortable. I, I'm happy, really excited. Well, remember, the capital remember, going remember, on the co-investment side, we decided we wouldn't do any investments over 10x valuation to, to revenue. And at the time, in, in, in 2021, everyone said, well, that's crazy. You're not going to get invest in anything. And we found it. And for quite some time, we, we didn't. didn't. <laughs> and, and, you know, it turned out that... We, now, we didn't, we, didn't have a, we didn't have a crystal ball. We didn't know what would happen in 2022 or 23. But we knew that it was sensible to worry that it will happen at some point. And that's just the advantage of being old. (laughs) Or inexperienced. (laughs) I have a question because I obviously know this being a venture partner with Isomer, but I think that in Silicon Canal's coverage of the fund launch, there's something in there that for reasons that elude me was not covered and sifted as an example, which is that in the predecessor fund of Fund 3, meaning IC2, you're actually top 5% globally. That is not something to just, I think, both on a firm level, to just go over quickly, but also because globally, well, and you're exposed only to Europe, well, that also automatically tells a story about Europe. And I'd just love to ask you to comment a bit on that. What do you think allows you to be in that very top bucket? That's in the um, toot your own horn, <laughs> which we're sometimes not so good at. But the Isomer Fund 2 is performing extremely well. If you unpack why that is, there, there's really a couple of main value drivers. The first being many of our GPs uh, have moved quickly. So, so they've gotten out of their J-curves. They've generated... Uh, profitable growth within the companies, including a bunch of early exits and cash that has come back. So, you know, give it, give all credit to them. At Q4 numbers, there were 11 GPs in that category that were clearly out of their J. Now, just to be clear, Isomer 2 is not yet three years old. It's coming up to three years old. And so what you would expect at this point in time is that the fund is maybe a bit negative, you know, in a, in a J-curve time, right? Because you're paying out capital going into companies, you're paying out fees. But in fact, um, due to the investing in some aged primaries, some funds that were already in motion, plus just really great GPs, I mean, we're fortunate to work with some of the best, we have a lot of profitability there. That's also been complemented by um, some great secondary transactions we did, so what, when we invest with VCs, what we're also saying is, look, you, 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 know, you don't know what's coming down the road and neither do we, but in difficult moments, if an LP needs liquidity, needs to leave, if a founder needs to leave a company, um, give us a call because we would be interested 
to buy those pieces. If we're already around the table, we know the company, we know the fund, whatever, we're interested. And so that's happening more and more. We're, we're doing quite a few of those. And it's a way of buying more of your own cooking, <laughs> in a way, right? But you tend to buy it at a discount. But it's cooking we know. It's cooking we know. We like the taste. <laughs> um, and so, but, but what a dream, right? If you're already working together on something and one of your fellow co-investors says, hey, I've got another project. And this is a couple of real stories. I've got another project I need cash for. Okay, well, can we buy half your stake or can we, you know? And so that becomes an early driver, particularly when you're buying older assets. So one thing I love doing is, let's say we're invested in, you know, fund X of a GP. If we can buy fund X minus one or X minus two, those funds are maybe four, five, six years old. So you, you can see the companies are growing up. They're starting to exit. So if you buy those in a secondary transaction, they really help your, your cash flow because you, you get some early cash back. They help the velocity of investing in the fund. So that's, you know, in, in isomer one, that's been a powerful effect. In isomer two, that's working extremely well. So um, the net IRR um, of the fund is very high. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I should broadcast, but... If you were running a direct VC fund, you'd be really happy with this number. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and that's what we're trying to do at Isomer. Fund-to-fund diversity and low risk with direct fund performance. Yeah. And so far, that, that's working. And, you know, this speaks to, speaks to our ability to really partner with our GPs. You know, a GP that, who says, well, you know, we've got, we've got some LPs that would like to move out of a fund that you're not even in, but, you know, we've, we've backed the manager. We've, val- you know, we spent our months validating the manager. Um, that's really quite special because we're then able to do something rather unique, and that is because we did all the DD on the prior fund because that was the fundamental data point to get us comfortable with their investment style, how they do things and how the processes that we put into the decision, we can do this relatively quickly. And that is a very, very valuable asset. It comes back to this this very precious thing called time. I I wanna take the chance to kind of wrap up because we are running out of time. And I think it would be just beautiful to end it on the quick rundown of Eisenberg Funds 3 strategy. Because I think, you know, many of us might have listened to it if we're regular listeners. We can check the website too, but it's always nice to hear it from the source and just have that as the wrap-up of this conversation. Joe, would you please? Sure. Isomer Fund 3 does three activities. It invests as an LP into early-stage funds all around Europe. It co-invests directly into companies alongside them. And it buys pieces, uh, secondary pieces of funds and companies, also with the same GPs. And the mix it does that in is about two-thirds of the capital into primary fund commitments and one-third into what I would call opportunistic, so co-investing and secondary investing. Um, the, the core positions in the fund is about 20. And this is hotly debated, should it be less, should it be more? Um, there's no perfect number, although there's historic portfolio theory. However, we're trying to balance the agenda of covering Europe having eyes and ears everywhere, yeah. increasing our shots on goal, our, in other words, our probability to get the next great unicorn outcome yeah. 
where, whether that's in North, East, South, or West Europe, yeah. that's a big job. That's a really big job. We have 44 jurisdictions. So you got, a, you, you got 20 shots to fire into this very big <laughs> landscape, right? So it kind of sounds like a big number, but actually when you go country by country and meet everyone, it's not that big a number. We also have a little bit of um, adjustment for Fund 3. We have more formalized our micromanager program. So we absolutely love emerging managers. I think that's no secret in the market. We've backed probably more fun ones than, than most um, because that's the exciting moment. And doing so. And, and very comfortable. And some of our highest returns are fun ones, I quickly add. But why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that to capture new ideas quite often, to capture really highly motivated people as they build their new project. And sometimes they have very small funds. Just You, you could almost call them proof-of-concept funds sometimes because you know, people test an idea. Maybe it's a sector focus. Maybe it's a something um, that's a little different from what they did at their prior firm, and they believe the future direction. So they raise a fund. Maybe it's twenty million or something. Well, they yeah. they later go on to something bigger. But there's a really special moment. We call them micromanagers, which in my corporate career was a negative thing, but <laughs> now in my in my VC career, it's a positive thing. Um, and these micromanagers, they. They're really powerful in terms of new ideas, taking you new places, generating high returns, but also the ability to partner with them. They support us as much as we support them. So we've formalized that in a little bit. And we've said to LPs, hey, don't worry. There's going to be up to 10% of the fund focused there. Um, and when you see us making small commitments to small funds, don't, don't worry about that. It's part of this, this sub-program, yeah. if you will. And then our crypto allocation is similar. So uh, I continue to think crypto markets and crypto technologies, uh, blockchain, and um, I like the picks and shovels strategy. Um, I don't know enough to speculate on Bitcoin and, and Ethereums and, 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 and so on, but I'd love to build the tools that allow you to speculate on those things. So we have a, a small group of focus managers in that where we, again, I think LPs are excited to have a, a toe in that, in that pond, um, but also diversified, you know, uh, and, and capped in size. So that's, am I missing any core bits of the strategy? It's Europe, it's tech, it's digital. <laughs> I think I saw in one of the PR pieces, five to 10 million to established managers and typically one and a half or so to the micro. Yeah, so, some, some, something like that. And uh, and then both of you are saying yes, and then I can see that you're also saying, yeah, but sometimes it's, you know, it, it all varies, but these are the it, main it, lines. It, 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 does, it does vary, but this is really important to, to be clear and explain the fundamentals here. The fundamental here, we've made a commitment to our LPs to cover not 44, but, you know, 38, 39, 40 countries and to invest, which is where this micromanager thing is so important, new emerging technology. So our um, you know, micro program has just done a climate fund. You know, We're doing a sort of biotechnology fund that we just did in fund two. So that's, that's you know, we're making a toe in the water um, in those new technologies with some really exciting new managers. And it's great fun to do that. And, you know, that's, that's really sort of important that we, that we do that. 
Well, and let's quickly add digital biotech. Yes. Not, yes. not wet lab, not, uh, not life sciences yeah. as historically practiced. But, but you know, we, we have computer backgrounds and we're comfortable in that domain. Um, but why this ranges? You know, you're, you're right, Andreas, and we kind of put that out. But there's, there's a couple of key things at work. One is we have a, an idea that we'd like to be a 10% LP if we can. So if your fund is 50 million, we'd love to put five. You know, if it's 80 million, we'd love to put eight. And that's, there's no magic of that. It's just being a material LP. Um, but the other part is that, you know, and I get a lot of credit for this sometimes. Sometimes when a VC says, well, how much do you need to invest? Because they've been pushed by big LPs. I need a ticket of a certain size. And sometimes I'm able to say, well, how much do you want us to invest? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, there are these funny moments where you can see the, in the eyes across the table, like, nobody ever asked me that. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. And one, I'll never forget, one VC said, I just love you for that. Yeah. Because you're thinking about me and what I need. And, and so we, you know, we, we flex our ticket up and down. Um, it, you know, in line with the capital targets of the fund, but also in line with that agenda of being a good partner. May, sometimes we're the first investor in and you need a market signal of some sort. Sometimes we're the last investor in and we're just filling the last little gap. And I think the, you know, the, the capital being in line with our target, but being a partner and being supportive means, you know, being flexible as well. You know, we sometimes use this... Um this, this, this expression, partnership is at the center of everything we do, and we've talked about our partnership with GPs. But we also have a partnership with our LPs because most, if not all, of our LPs invest in us because they want to understand and know about Europe. They want to co-invest with us in companies, in funds. They want to do commercial partnerships, and that's really at the essence. Partnership is about everything that we do. Beautiful way to wrap things up. Always nice to see you guys, especially when it's in person. Uh, and also just adding, it's a pleasure for EUVC as well to have Eisenhower as a partner. Because at the end of the day, that's also part of, of the whole partnerships that you're talking about, and we really appreciate that. So always cool to be with you, but more importantly, very exciting times with Fund3. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Really fun to talk to you, although this is a very uncivilized hour of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but only for you do we get up so early. <laughs> and so little sleep. And so little sleep, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, and have a, have a good rest of the conference. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. 